Well, good morning. Glad you're here. Well, thank you. Now I'm doubly glad you're here, since you're glad I'm here. And I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad I'm standing up. Happy Father's Day to you fathers, physically or spiritually. We have a little gift for you when you leave, this little piece of paper, just what you needed. No, inside is a cool pen that you can use on your phone, or you can actually write with. Can you imagine? And we just want you to get it right. No, the pun was intended, and it was terrible, I know. There's a what? A highlighter. Oh, there's a highlighter in it, too. That makes it double better. I'm glad that you're Christians, because then you have to forgive me for my bad jokes. It says it right in the Bible. Forgive Pastor John for his bad jokes. Hezekiah 7.3. Could I uh, ask you to uh, pray with me for a minute? I'm going to ask all the men, boys, men, males, I think in our context mostly we're clear about that. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, as we pray together. Prone to wander, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, you're the one who rescued us from danger. And Lord, today for every man in the room, future man to be, present man, those who are parents, asking for grace. We live in uh, growingly perilous times. And God, we uh, thank you that you have not left us in the world to stumble our way about and feel our way about. You have given us a sure word of prophecy. And on top of that, you have given yourself to us in the form of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you. Some of us, uh, this is a rough day. Either uh, having lost fathers, that would include our our uh, wives and female members of our family as well, but uh, particularly on Father's Day, we think of that. Some of us wish to be. Some of us are fathers. Some of us are spiritually fathers. Some of us have joy in what we experience, and some of us have heartache. Some of us today who are parents in the room have challenges that are grieving our souls. Lord, would you undertake and grant mercy. Grant the comforting work of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I would ask for even beyond that, because you are the living God. You're not somebody we, we put a picture up or a cross on our wall and say, yeah, there's my religion and have no contact with you for the rest of the year. You're the living God. Your Spirit can speak to us. And where we need wisdom for leading our kids or others, our young disciples perhaps, and where we need wisdom for bringing perhaps correction and reconciliation, maybe healing past injuries, which I know have a lot to do with brokenness in your church, that, Lord, you would have us have ears to hear and hearts to obey so that, Lord, we can be the instruments of your peace. I think of that famous prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. 
And Lord, that's what we need. So comfort your servants. And for those who are, are, uh, are standing, pour out grace, pour out hope, pour out courage and encouragement. Lord, you have proven to me. I don't know where all of us are. I know some in the room have experienced this. You have proven to me that you're alive. And you took a fatherless, wayward, stupid young man and laid your hand on him, and you, I can testify before the living God. I've had a few samples in my life, and I'm so grateful, especially for the believers that modeled Christian manhood to me. But, Lord, you have shown yourself to be a good father and quite able, even all by yourself, to father your sons. Would you do that for us? And give us ears to hear so that we can hear your exhortation as a father to his sons. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. For he cares for us like precious children and guides us on the way. Lord, raise up servants with boldness in their souls for your church because we're in desperate days. We ask for help. In the great name of Jesus, we commit every brother in the room to your grace and those who are not yet your brothers that they would be wooed to yourself and come into your family. We need as many as we can on this journey to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen Amen and amen. You may be seated. Do you believe God's for you? Sure? Okay. Amen. Uh, My title today is The Frog in the Kettle. Oh, boy. What's that? I thought I heard somebody say, can we have popcorn? <laughs> what? The, the kettle. It gets hot. Everybody know the image, right? It, came, it was actually, I, I have an asterisk there because it's not original with me. I stole it. Dr. Ashley, when you listen in, I'm coming clean, coming clean with everybody. Actually, it was a book written in 1990 by George Barner, who used to do a lot of examination of patterns in the church and in culture. Anybody remember him? Anybody old enough to remember him? Karsten. Hi. (laughs) Good friends. Anyway, what's that? (laughs) Wow. Tough crowd this morning. He's the father, though. So anyway... Rachel, sorry. Everybody in the family, sorry. Welcome. I'm going home now. Okay. <laughs> so the image was that the church sits in our in the culture in which we've been born into, and the culture is like sitting in the pot where you turn the heat on very low and the pot full of water gets warmer and warmer and warmer. It's based on the assumption that If you put a frog in that in the cold water because they acclimate to what's around them, they'll sit there long enough that they'll boil to death rather than get out of the pot. Now, there's only one problem. It's a great phrase, and everybody gets the image. It's just not scientifically true. Did you know that? I I actually looked it up just to make sure I didn't step in it. But, yeah, uh, they will jump out. So some people did experiments back in the 1800s or whatever, and a few must have boiled to death, so they were defective frogs. What can you say? But other ones jump out. But the principle you still get. 
we're in, we're in an environment of some sort and it weighs on us and it starts to seep into our skin, right? And we start finding, uh, you know, we have some of the symptoms of what's going on around us. I was thinking of that in particular. I didn't want to put it on the screen because it would be a distraction and people would look at it as so radical that they would say, well, that, that, that would never happen to me. And so I didn't want to make a big deal. But I've been following with only... Uh, minimal interest, the Nexium scandal that uh, you may have seen or heard about in the news. It's a, it's a cult w- with a, an abusive uh, sexual leader and uh, how people were drawn in to the group. And I have notes here somewhere. I want to make sure I read the right thing. Six former Nexium members have taken the stand, because now it's a big lawsuit and everything else and, and criminal, and... Uh, providing a window into how the group indoctrinated people, undermining their moral beliefs and convincing them to blindly follow the leader's edicts, even when it meant either breaking the law or tolerating stuff you would have never done otherwise. You don't get there like that. There has to be a gradual heating up of the pot that influences us. So the passage of Scripture we're in today speaks to this very issue, and so... Uh, anybody ever feel that way on an occasion? How did I get here? How many of you as Christians have ever wandered down the wrong little side path and go, wait a minute, how did I get here? And you have to reset your dial. So if you would, turn with me to Hebrews. This is page 1198 in the Bible in the chair, if you want to follow along. And in a few minutes, if you're a scholar of material, I'll want you to turn to another section of that Bible uh, just to give you some background on something. But let's start with Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, I'm sorry, did I say 4? I said the wrong one. It's chapter 3. That's 1197. Well, we're going down to verse 12 and just reading three verses. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, some of us might read that and go, well, I'm not evil. You know, Jesus said to his friends, his disciples one day, how come you being evil know how to give good gifts? (laughs) All right, so scratch that argument, right? (laughs) He knows what's in us. We all have that bent. It's called the flesh. We have this inclination to... I don't want to do it. I don't want to do what God says. So that's one of the troubles. So he's speaking to the people. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, a pistis. That is the word for Greek, for the Greek word for faith is pistis. And ah, like ah, moral, without faith is the word there. An unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. We'll come back to that word falls away later. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, it could happen. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. There's two things I want to look at today. The exhortation itself, what, what this author is writing to people and what about and what some of the context, the real point, the exhortation, which last week we looked at Psalm 95. If today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the Old Testament. We love to point at those Old Testament people because they were such wingnuts, very much not like us. You know, we love that. But no, 
He's bringing this home to a Christian community and saying, you can be just like that, and I don't want you to. So, the first thing is an exhortation. The second thing is an application. What we, if you were doing a Bible study all by yourself, you're reading in the morning, you know, you have your cup of joe, and the birds are singing outside, and you're reading your Bible. Isn't that idyllic? It's wonderful. Anybody ever get space like that? It just feels so good. And you came across this section, I would say, what does that mean? I don't want to be hardened. What, how does that apply to me? Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ooh. What does that look like? So let me start with the exhortation and the real point. And a few months back, uh, Corey McGrail came up and shared uh, his message and did a little historical background. Corey, are you here? You're somewhere in the room. There you are. Hi, guys. Uh, and, and I heard feedback that his little historical stuff showing you some of the historical places and all, people like that. Well, I said, I'm not going to be outdone by that, so I'm going to give you a little historical background, all right? Who is this group that is being written to? And you might remember that little video that we used, which, by the way, wasn't Francis Chan's, but he did use it, right? Am I correct? I just want to clarify that, or Jess will come and straighten me out. Uh, she sent it to me. It said, we don't know who the author is. We don't know who it's written to. But less on the author, more on who, we might be able to figure out who it was, right? You don't, you don't need to believe what I'm telling you today to be part of the Christian church. But I think there's some evidence that makes sense. So let me take a couple of minutes to help us with that, okay? The recap of what the exhortation was, don't allow hardness to get you to fall short of the grace of God. Did you notice how many times, even in these first few chapters, twice already, you have this statement. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the... He that endures to the end will be saved. Jesus said things like that. Anybody remember? He said things like that. And it comes out in this book over and over and over. Why? If we endure, hold fast our faith to the end. Don't fall short of the grace of God. Let me show you what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 says. It's coming up, but I'll put it on the screen. If your Bible's open, you can see it. That's why I prematurely went to Hebrews 4. If indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also... This is talking about... That Psalm 95 exhortation to the Old Testament about the Old Testament people, they all came out of Egypt together with Moses, right? It was a big army of about a million and a half. That's a parade, baby. That's, that's a church service. And in that church crowd, there were people in this condition. We had the good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by what? So those who heard it didn't believe it. I mean, think about that. People who saw the mighty hand of God, the Red Sea event, the death of the opposing army, the mighty judgments over Egypt, water coming out of the rock, manna from heaven, all of that, and it's like, yeah, but... Yeah, but... I remember that guy back in Egypt who was praying to ISIS, and he got his prayers answered. Maybe... How do I... I don't know. 
Who knows? Not united by faith in those who heard. Lost people within, listen carefully, within the faith community. Lost people within the faith community. And brethren, it's always been so. Did you remember that Jesus had a lost person in his little faith community? His little small group. I mean, if he didn't get that guy saved, then how do you think you get people saved? If Jesus didn't do it, are you following me? It wasn't mixed with faith. He heard it all. He understood it. But it wasn't mixed with true faith in his Savior, Jesus. I'm talking about Judas, of course. You all know what I mean. So just in case somebody might miss this, all the descriptions you read in the book of Hebrews, and I hope once in a while while I'm going through this series, you'll read some of the sections in the book of Hebrews, that the people would not, the swearing that God did was not bad language. He swore, he made a promise, they shall not enter my rest. What was that a picture of? Just to be, who, who said it? Somebody said it. You're not in trouble. You can say it. No, you, you get points if you say the right answer. Heaven. It's a p- picture of heaven. The children of Israel were taken out of slavery, right? God rescued them. He brings them through the wilderness wanderings, our lives, however long God gives it to us. And then they're supposed to enter the promised land. Thank you. It's all true. What happened was all true, but it's a picture The whole New Testament uses it as a picture of our way, our journey to the promised land, which is heaven. Right? Everybody get that? I I felt like I needed to say it because some sometimes newer believers may not know that that's some of the imagery that the church often takes for granted. But that's what he's talking about. And now these exhortations are saying, make sure you get there. Ooh. (gasps) Make sure you get there. Make sure you don't peter out and manifest whether you really were born again or not. In the case of Judas, it became self-evident that he wasn't. But all along, who would have known, right? Was he in the kingdom or not? Here's what the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews about the people to whom the author is writing. Listen to this. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Does anybody remember what the overall encouragement of the book of Hebrews was? Stand firm in the face of persecution, opposition, because it's coming. I don't know that that's totally inappropriate for American Christians today. Stand firm. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get deceived. Don't let your heart get hard and decide, maybe I'll just sell out so I can save my bacon, so to speak. That's what he's encouraging. And he says to these disciples, you've not yet shed blood in your resisting the opposition that's coming. Who is he talking to? So who wants a little bit of history? Anybody care about a little history? I've got four people. I'm going with it. Okay. Yes, I see that hand. Hebrews. I want you to turn to the book of Acts, the very last chapter, 28. It's on page 1124. Those of you who want to study, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just encouraging you. I'm not making this stuff up. The Jewish community in Rome, you need to know a little bit about the history here. The early church in Jerusalem 
was scattered by early persecution. And the disciples went all throughout the Roman Empire, wherever God would allow them to wander, and they preached Jesus, literally, and planted churches. And Paul went on missionary journeys, and all of that happened, so there were churches planted all over. Some of those early Christians suffered persecution even in the city of Rome. Okay? At the end of Paul's life, and the worst persecution broke out under Nero about 64 A.D. Everybody know about Nero, right? Probably started the fire in Rome, blamed the Christians, let loose all kinds of tragic attack. Paul ends up later, around that time, in Rome, and he has come there under guard, as if you've read the whole story, you know ultimately he had to appeal to Caesar in order to protect himself. And the scripture tells us that he ends up in Rome and they give him private residences in chapter 28 of the book of Hebrews. What he does when he gets there is he calls the Jewish community together. That is, people who have not yet trusted or heard about Jesus Christ. Were there Jewish Christians in Rome? Yes. They had experienced persecution, but the people he just pulled together had not. And so we read this text. Thank you for that page there. Verse 22, the Jewish leaders, these are probably rabbis and leaders in their synagogues. They're speaking to Paul and they say, we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. Obviously, these are not Christians yet. They are not Jewish believers. They haven't heard all this gospel truth. Others have suffered for their faith. These people hadn't even become Christians yet. Here's the interesting thing. In Rome, Christians were persecuted, but all through the Roman Empire, Jews had a solid, safe, stable existence. Their synagogues were respected. They were acceptable to the Roman Empire. And now, some of them are going to start moving into this group called followers of Jesus, the way, and now persecution would be a real possibility for them. And if you read the rest of the story here, he leads a bunch of them to faith. Others turn their back, but as usual, some, many actually, become Christians. And so now you have this new generation of Jewish Christians who are Bible scholars and know their Jewish scripture the way Hebrews talks about. Are you getting the drift? And there's going to be a challenge for them. The Christians are getting it. They're getting thrown to the lions. All of this kind of thing is happening. They're being put on crosses and set on fire to light Nero's parties at night. Can you imagine? And here we've had this nice, stable situation, and we just signed up with Jesus, and that might come to, maybe we should go back and forget about that stuff. You get it? Ever feel that way? <laughs> Maybe this isn't such a good idea. <laughs> so I think there's a good, strong argument, and the, the Lutheran clergyman, scholar, Mr. Lenski, was the one who unfolded that in front of me and went, wow, that makes perfect sense. You don't have to believe it, but I think that's probably who these people were. 
And the, and the author of the book is like unto them. He's a Jewish scholar of some sort and speaks eloquently about all the things that God gave the people of Israel in the Old Testament, but insists that they need to remember that we have better things in the person of Jesus. He has fulfilled all that was prophesied. Now, that's a little bit of history. Prove that you're really in the kingdom. Don't rebel just to save your money or your tush or whatever it might be. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Try to stand and prove. In fact, the way I like to say it, and I know right now some of you are wondering, what is he telling us about can you be saved and unsaved? I'm not telling you. I want to leave you hanging on purpose. Because the author is saying, stay saved. Prove that you're in, if you will. Prove that you're really born again. Persevere, because that is what has mistakenly been called um, once saved, always saved. You've heard that. Um, We talk about eternal security. I just want to go on record. I believe it. I believe when you're really in, if you're really in, you're secure. But here's what the scripture and what theologians have been trying to get the point about is the perseverance of the saints. The saints persevere. Even if they stumble, they come back. The perseverance of the saints to the end. Anybody remember the parable of the soils? Right? We we hear that. Well, a sower went out to sow. He sows seed. You know, like today, I'm sowing seed. Some falls on rocky ground. The birds come along. It's gone, which means it never took any root because the hardness of unbelief just, no. That's happening in this room right now. The sowing goes on. Some falls on rocky soil. There's a little bit of dirt in there, and so it springs up. Woohoo! Look, a plant. Sun comes up, burns it, gone. Right? A little persecution. Jesus unpacks it later. He says, this, this is the one the devil takes the word out of their heart. That's the first one. The second one, they grow up and persecution or difficulty for the gospel. That's what we're talking about here. Difficulty. Like, it's going to cost you your job if you do what Jesus told you to do. You're going to get fired. And they give up. Nah, forget it. That's that group. The other group falls on... What was it? Good. No, no, we didn't get there yet. There's another one. Thorns, thank you. Thorns grow up and choke out the plant. And what are the thorns? The cares of the world, making money, being off track with all that other junk. It stifles it and it's fruitless. And the last one is... Good soil, and that plant comes up and gives fruit back a hundredfold, sixtyfold, whatever it is. And we hear that and we go, I wonder which one I'm in. But, you know, I'm hoping they're all, except the first one. We know the first one isn't a Christian, but hopefully the other ones still are. Are they going to make it into heaven? Am I going to make it? If I'm only here, I've, I've let the cares of the world choke out my love for Jesus, but I hope I make it into heaven. Why do we always park on the least valuable? What does God want? What did Jesus want? He wants fruit. Why don't we immediately say, how do I get there? We can't know. I don't know. I don't know who's in and who's out. Anybody here got a direct pipeline on that? I'd, I'd love to use that in the pastor's office. Well, let's see this one. Okay. Oh, he's in. He's all right. Oh, go after him. That one's good. You can't know, right? But what you can know is what pleases Jesus. So why don't we pursue it? That's the question. 
So let me reread now for just a second. We're back in Hebrew. So, Corey, how did I do? Did you get some history there? Did you like that? Yeah, the movie, that little film, they're wrong on that. They're just wrong on that. We know who it is. Not sure who the author is, although I'll put my money, uh, uh, Mr. Bozick, one of our elders, Reverend Bozick, uh, I'm putting my money on Apollos as the author. But you don't have to agree with me. I'm just going to say that's who I think it is. So, chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 12. Take care that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away. The word falls away. You're going to recognize this word, apostasy. That's the Greek. A falling. Here's what it means. Drifting, falling away, going away. Get this. Withdrawing, standing aloof. Well, that's a good one. Standing aloof. Do you remember when Jesus was being tortured and crucified? Who was his right-hand guy who was standing aloof? You're one of them. No, I don't know who he is. No, no, I saw you with him. No, I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I'm sure I saw. In fact, your talk is like a Galilean. Dang it, frickin' put the fire at him. No. That's in the Bible, friends. Oh, no, no, he never talked like, oh, read it again. He stood aloof. One of the most painful times in my life was when I was undergoing some real hardcore opposition and the people that I relied on stood aloof. Oh, they're beating him up. We better just let him finish the job and not get hurt in the process. Oh, how are you now, Pastor John? We all got reconciled, by the way. It's all mostly. It's painful. You know what? I don't want to ever do that to Jesus. How about you? I don't. Is it easy? No. Is it hard sometimes to stand up against it? Here's what happens, though. Look at the next verse, verse 13. Encourage one another day after day. By the way, a great verse for why we should gather as saints, which too few of us take. I mean, I'm talking to the choir here, but obviously people don't take that seriously. But that's another subject. While it's called today, which is all the days of God's grace until he says, I've had enough, I'm done asking. Because it'll come. I've had enough. I'm done asking. Time's up. Remember last week, uh, my little illustration from Francis Chan of I'm putting my toe in? I, I tried a little, ooh, well, that feels kind of fun. Ooh. Oh, maybe not today. Not all in. Hardness of heart. While it's called today, this is the season where God invites us. There'll be a point where you've been taking too long to decide with your toe whether you're going to jump in the pool or not. Time's up. And if nothing else, it'll be when Jesus shows up. Time's up. And which could be any moment. Don't have that down solid either, right? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The word here is deception, trickery, seduction, delusion, that slow frog in the kettle influence that keeps weighing down, weighing down until we say, eh, 
Nah, that's not that important anymore. Don't need to do that. Oh, I've only missed two days of time with God. I've only missed three months of time with God. I've only missed six years of time with God. I slowly, slowly get deluded. So here's a story for you. Um, In the Great Reformation, people were persecuted and they were impoverished and jailed and pressured and tortured. And if they couldn't get them to change their mind about the truth, what the Bible said, they'd be burned at the stake. So I've shown you this place before. Martyr's Monument in Oxford. I, I got, had the privilege of being there. And right around the corner from this monument, which reminds me a little of the words of Jesus, you build the monuments of the saints, but you're the ones that killed them. You know, it kind of cracks me up. But here's this monument. Right around the corner from that is the actual place where the, where the pyre was built to burn three saints to death because they believed in Jesus. Latimer, Ridley, and Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, want what, what was once before he was defrocked because he believed that the gospel was by faith alone and the scripture was the authority first and that's what they were paying with their lives for. Two of them were put to death on one day. Thomas Cranmer, however, had a little sliding event kind of like Peter. What happened to Peter. He stood aloof from Jesus. Did it stay there or was he really in? See, the, the author of Hebrews would, be, would have been in his face at that point. Tell him, you're really blowing it here. And guess what? The Holy Spirit indwelling him eventually told him, you blew it, Pete. And he came back. And then Jesus even restored him. Isn't that good news? Thomas Cramer was just abusively treated and nagged to death until he finally couldn't take it anymore and he wrote a recantation. He used his right hand to sign, I recant all this doctrine about the gospel and submit myself to the religious erroneous authorities of the time. And so he escaped burning to death for a while because eventually the Holy Spirit, who was really in him, proved that he was really in, and he recanted again, back to, I'm following Jesus no matter what. And here's the interesting thing about it. Hey, anybody in the room, you know, men really have a struggle with this. Christianity's for sissies. Yeah? I double dog dare you to stand up to that. He changed his mind. He said, I can't go along with this. I know in my conscience, just like Martin Luther said, to go against conscience is not right or safe. And so he said, nope, I will take, I'll bite the bullet, whatever happens. And they tied him to the stake and uh, shamed him and everything else. And they lit the fire. When the fire started to come up around him, let me read this to you. For as much as my hand hath offended writing contrary to my heart. Therefore, my hand shall first be punished. For when I come to the fire, it shall first be burned. And he stuck his hand in and left it there till it was a cinder. Don't tell me there isn't a Holy Spirit that empowered him to stand firm even to the end. By the way, next Sunday, we're praying for our missionaries going, but it's also um, Martyr's Day. 
Christian martyrs, they based on the, the background of the Apostle Paul being put to death. All right, that's the history. Now it's time for the sermon. Got an hour? No, it won't take that long. And I'm not going to comment. <laughs> an application. Last time I never got to this, last week I never got to be able to speak the encouragement that is found in this text to expand on the deceitfulness of sin because it is what lies to us. My wife and I, over 45 years of ministry, have discerned that people who deceive, they, they get into the habit of lying, they also end up self-deceived. They believe, after a while, what they're saying is true. And it's not. But they believe it because the power of deception, the deceitfulness of sin, will give you spiritual sclerosis. Remember the word? Sclerosis. I agree. I hate my voice, too. So, so I didn't get to this verse to speak life to us as a congregation. The only way to stay safe that I know is to continually do what this verse says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is trying to talk to us all the time. All the time. If you're a child of God, he's trying to prompt you, speak to you, encourage you. You have a gift he wants to activate. He's prompting you to use it. He's trying to get you to speak truth. He's trying to get you to stand firm against the opposition, whatever it might happen to be. He's trying to get you to honestly look at yourself where you're broken. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let me explain. There's a difference between quenching the Spirit and grieving the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit, which I have seen too many times, is when the Spirit is already working and we throw water on the fire. A person is under conviction. I need to get right with God. I know it. And somebody comes up and trying to make nice because they're operating out of their flesh and what they know, which is not spiritual. No, no, you're fine. Everything's great. You know, maybe it's not. Is the spirit working? If the spirit is drawing this person to a crisis so that they will take a major leap forward, I don't want to interfere with that. But it happens a lot. The spirit's working in a church service and somebody derails it with some kind of nonsense. It, it happens, all right? That's one kind of opposition of the spirit. It's, it, some of it's not intentional. It just happens. Grieving the Spirit is the opposite. That is when the Spirit's trying to speak to me and I'm saying, shut up. Oh, I might not use the word in my head. I might not even be conscious that I'm telling God to butt out, but that's what I'm doing. And I can do that and do that and hardness starts to set in and I don't hear anymore. I'm going to take a risk this morning for about 10 minutes, and then we're going to be done. We'll do our announcements. We have a brief business meeting today just to vote in our, our candidates and all of that, and I need to make a few comments about the last business meeting. But I'm going to let you inside uh, your leader's brain for a few minutes because, you know, even leaders get hard. I know some of you are here saying, see, I knew it. I knew that was his problem. I knew no, you didn't. 
Every deceived individual, Lenski said, has his own peculiar argument and plea to justify his folly. Why we think we're right, when we're really not. So, there's a passage in the Old Testament, and it happened many times, and I'm, I'm going to use Moses as my illustration, if I may. Moses says to the Lord, by the way, let me just say, this is the manna fight. I mean, of all things to fight about. God gives them food. That's not good enough. It doesn't have flavor. And so there's another complaint. This is on top of so many others. And Moses is like, oi. Can you imagine spiritual leader getting, oi. So here's what happens. So Moses said to the Lord, why hast thou been so hard on thy servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that thou hast laid the burden of all these people on me? So if thou art going to deal thus with me, please kill me now. My daughter, sometimes the kids, my son-in-law is over in the Middle East. He's been there. He's going to be nine months. And the kids are like, we're going up for the weekend to help bring a little daddiness into the room. You know what I'm saying? And and, uh, she'll just go. While the chaos is bright, you know, she looks at us and goes, kill me now. (laughs) That's obviously a joke. Moses wasn't joking. If you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. And if I have found favor in your sight, don't let me see my wretchedness. Now, I can just hear you all quoting in your mind, Dr. Ashley. Really? But just to encourage you on this one, that's not the response. In fact, God steps in to help solve Moses' problem. So you read it for yourself. But my point is, he didn't get that reaction. What was Moses saying here? Look what he's saying. Don't let me see my wretchedness. What does he mean? I'm failing here. I'm worthless. They're not changing. Nothing's happening. I'm talking to a brick wall. I hate to confess, I've actually said that on occasion. My friends are nodding, saying, yes, it's about time you got straightened out. That's a little joke, but not a joke. Unbelief is infectious. The leader starts to think, I'm not getting anywhere. It can't work here. Some of what I'm about to say goes pre-me being here, okay? So nobody take it like, oh, okay, everybody relax. Take a deep cleanser, everybody... Breathe out. It goes way back. Years of speaking truth to people. and They're telling me why I'm wrong. They're telling me why I'm dumb. They're telling me I'm a hypocrite. I'm a Pharisee. How dare me judge when it's chapter and verse that they're violating. I'm just trying to tell you what God says. And you're up against it and up against it and up. And eventually you start to feel like this is pointless. Why don't you just kill me now? I'm getting nowhere. You know what? It was so real for me. This is, this is transparent. I don't know. I hope you guys know what grace means. When I left my church up north, and, um, and there were some hard things about that leaving, I actually thought, who do you think this came from? I actually thought I was going to die. I've done what I was supposed to do. I've somehow messed up at the end, which I didn't realize. I was, I was hearing this. I'm going to die. My life's over. Literally. I'm not dead yet. 
Okay, nobody cares. Some are saying, I wish you would. Anyway, it can't work here. And then here's, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. I'm listening to that enough. I start to get hardened. I found myself caught in a pattern of hopelessness, unbelief, occasional complaining, right, Gene? Maybe twice. Occasion- I mean, it's long-term effects. Not, not, don't, don't take all this personally in any way. So when I was on vacation and I met with one of the people that we had poured into years ago and they blessed us back with an abundance of grace just flowing over us, guess what happened? The light came on. And I went, I've been walking in unbelief. God told Moses, tell the people this. What they do is irrelevant. You obey me and speak the truth of the living God. What they do doesn't matter. That's my problem, not your problem. And I realized in some ways I've been holding back some things that have to be said. But I'm going to choose to obey even if it kills me. And that's where you want to be too, really. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to be, right? There's a wearing effect in resistance. Let me tell you, I have permission to tell this story. This is from here. A dear, dear sister came to me one day. And we have a relationship where, you know, I coach and try to disciple a little bit. And she says to me, I want to tell you why I haven't been in church for three weeks. Now, I didn't say she had to tell me. But she wanted to. So she told me. And I got her permission to tell this story. I'm not telling you who. And she said, I wasn't here because I was sitting there one week and I just felt like I don't, I'm not welcome here. I don't, I don't really belong. I, I'm not really part of this. And, and so I just felt like I didn't want to come and blah, blah, blah. And I went, okay. You ready, you ready for the truth? Yeah, really? Here was my reaction. And by the way, I was very loving. We love each other. This, this, this sister and I love each other. We really do. She's awesome, in fact. Because after this exhortation, she hasn't missed a Sunday. Anyway, here's what I said. Really? I said, first of all, welcome to the club. Do you know how many, how many times since I came here, I didn't feel like I'm particularly in? Anybody else feel like that ever? Hello, thank you for that honesty. All six of you had the guts to put your hands up. What has that got to do with anything? I'm called to worship the living God. I'm here. This morning, I'm worshiping God. doesn't matter what you people. You could have been dancing with hula hoops on. I don't care. I was focusing in. My job is to come and worship God. That's why even when I'm on vacation, sometimes I try to get a place to worship. Kind of a forgotten idea. But that's the first thing. doesn't matter whether they accept. It's irrelevant. And by the way, it's not totally true. The enemy loves to lie to us. You're an outsider. You're no good. We're all outsiders. Come on. Some of us we connect with. Some of us we don't. Number one, that was it. Number two, obedience is the primary thing. That's what should matter. Number three, can I really... um, What's the word? uh, um, When you're interfering, what is the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I'm messing with you. Can I really mess with you? That's not the word, but... Metal, metal. Can I really metal? Let me ask you a simple question. Do you think your pastor is more encouraged or less encouraged when you keep playing hooky? 
Duh, well, that was a hard question, wasn't it? When we have a service where, and it's happened here, school night or whatever, and the place is packed out and the cars are out in the weeds and everything else, people go, woohoo, isn't that exciting? Woo! How come? It stimulates us, right? It encourages us. It's encouraging to our spirit. Duh! Anybody connecting the dots here? You follow what I'm saying? I need it. You need it. You are enc- I've told Steve Avilas, that brother back there, every time you show up, you encourage me by me seeing you. We need to encourage one another day after day while it is called today. Stop hardening your heart. I have a picture for you. Remember this guy? Lord of the Rings, worm tongue. This, I was going to use the video clip, but it, it, would, have been, it would have been better for a, like a picture of demonic deliverance because uh, it ends really well. But worm tongue, he's the same as Satan or the flesh. It's constantly whispering crud in your head. You're no good. You can't do anything. God isn't going to help you. You're an exception. That's the one I really love, you know. You shouldn't be doing this. No, I'm an exception. I don't have to play by his rules. Here's why I'm, I'm, I'm excused. And the more I take that in, the harder and harder my spirit gets. Now, today is... Father's Day, and I want to speak a word of encouragement. I could, I could go on with a bunch of illustrations, lots of them. I hope I haven't totally bored you or lost you, and if anything isn't clear, just come and talk to me. In fact, you got a thing in your bullet that said the nine rules of respect. You don't understand what I said? Come talk to me. There's a profound solution. I don't understand what he said. Talk to 12 other people. They don't understand either. Why don't you come talk to me? I know what I meant. Not a good idea. Man, it was worth admission just for that, right? Get this. I'm reading, my, I'm reading scripture. I don't have a good model growing up about fathering, and I've got five kids. And by the way, when I get toward retirement age, I need some space because one of the things I want to do is go back and talk about the mighty deeds of God in our lives. We've done that with our kids, but they need more. And I want to give them more because that's my job as dad is to bring that tone of trusting God into my family. They'll see it modeled and then they'll be inspired to do it. No comment else. Let me just give you this. I'm reading in my Old Testament studies. I've started the Bible over. I'm toward the end. I'm in the middle of Deuteronomy. Do I have that verse? Last verse. This jumped off the page at me. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Dude! Or as the younger people, I was told, say amen this way. Bro, bro, bro. Hey, we got to get our church life into this century, okay? Brah, dude. Amen, dude. Isn't that awesome? What does that mean for me? I, that's, I'm not Jewish. What does that mean? I was a slave in the world system of Egypt. I was trapped in the sick drugs, sexual culture. I was a slave and he rescued me. He took me out with a mighty outstretched hand and that's why I obey all these commandments and so will you if you know what's good for you. 
Brothers, you think, what do I do to lead or speak into my children's life? I see so many parents crippled. They won't speak life to their kids. Step up to the plate. I was a slave in Egypt. Well, I was raised in the church. You still had to get free to some kind of slavery somewhere along the line, or you're not born again. You've never been born again. What did God save you from? What is it? Here I am living the Christian life, and three weeks ago on vacation, bam, you're in bondage. You're a slave to unbelief. And I went, holy cow, and I got free. And guess what? Life is pouring out of me because I saw the truth. And it'll do it for you. We were slaves in Egypt. You already got a testimony, and you have something to say. He took me out with an outstretched arm, and he's still able to do it. We need the reminders. That's why we speak life to each other day after day, as long as it is still called today. But what we need to do with a passage like this I've got to come before God and say, has my heart hardened? Is there sclerosis here? Or am I listening? Am I grieving the Holy Spirit who's been nagging me about violating this, for example, for the last 15, 20 years? Or pick up any other subject. I've been fooling around with it. He keeps saying, yeah, I'm not quite right there. And you keep shelving it and ignoring it. And you're hard and you don't even see it. I think your request is, God, help me. If I am hard, show me where I'm scabbed over and missing the life that he wants to pour into you and out of you. Can you tell I'm not dead here? I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged. And you should be as well. The spirit is stirring here, trying to bring us into that softness of spirit that allows us to grow and change. Let's pray together and we'll have appointments and dismiss. And when we're done with the service and the offering and all of that, let me encourage you parents, get your kids and bring them up to the meeting so that our teachers aren't getting madder at me like my wife is right now because I went so long. I don't mean literally mad, just, you know, commenting mad. You know, that was kind of long. Can we pray? May, may I? Thanks, Jesus. I want to thank you that you're the living God. I want to thank you that your spirit is real. I'm asking that every saint in this church would experience afresh, if they haven't already, the reality of his wooing us and softening us and changing us. In the great name of Jesus, help us. Amen.